I'm the most perfect little boy. I didn't say little boy. You added that. You in. definitely said little boy, but I cut it out so the I audience said, won't know. Oh, hey, everybody. <laughs> welcome to the lore dump. <laughs> hey, yeah. Welcome. Welcome, welcome to our welcome, podcast. Welcome, 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 welcome to the Big Blue House. That was from Bear in the Big Blue House. That was a Disney Are we Channel get show. Copyright struck we're going to go on a lot of tangents because we're both pretty tired. But who cares? Yeah, are we? Are we getting copy? Are we going to get? Is Bear in the Big well, Blue House going to copyright strike? Us? I don't think Bear's very litigious. I think he's a very peaceful, like fun-loving bear. Also, I, I don't, don't know. know a lot of lawyers I, who would represent a bear. So I, I think we're good. You don't know enough lawyers, then. Well, I welcome, actually, the big blue I have some inf- We won't get into this, but I have some information about Bear that we maybe should be. Concerned oh no, about. we won't talk about that here because that's slander as well. So. Oh. Okay. Uh, well, go check out our secondary podcast, The Tea Drop, for uh, Josh to dump all that spicy tea <laughs> on Bear from the Big Blue House. But this is Lord Dump. This is the show is where Lord we Dump. create a world before your very ears. And what a world we have created. Bump, bump, it is bump, such bump. a world. It's so good. It's so it's magical. Really good. It's a spicy place. It's a spicy, hot place. And if you haven't listened to the other episodes, what are you doing here? You're missing all the good stuff. This is the bad part of the show. This is episode six, and it has been a constant downhill slope. We've already peaked in the first episode, I think. That was it. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that was it. This is just, we're just making noise at this point into a microphone. We're making noise. We're making worlds. We're making up answers to your questions, which you've submitted at lordumquestions at gmail.com or where else, Joshua? At the Lore Dump on Twitter and Instagram, the most bestest social medias for all your Lore Dump needs. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 It's That's good. It's good stuff. Good. They're, they're, they're. Yeah, come hang out with us. You know, come, come. You know, tweet at us. Tweet at us. Like, send us a picture of your dog or your. Uh, you really just asked for dog pictures? Yeah, on our I want your dog pictures, and I want pictures of your home games. You and all your little friends hanging around a table, all wearing masks and six feet apart, because we are in an epidemic, people. Be safe. I want pictures of your dogs wearing masks at a table playing Dungeons and Dragons. That's too much. You're asking too much of our. No, if you How achieve you this, I will. I oh, don't know. I, do something this is recorded legally binding if If you do that i will shave my beard if someone sends josh a picture of their dog masked and dming a game he will shave his beard you've heard it it has to be multiple he will shave his full body everyone my whole body no that's so much hair sean it's barely even there and i'll donate it all the kids they they didn't see that but you just saw me like i saw you fully look in your chest confirming that yes that is quite a bit of hair on there there is a lot jesus christ what are we doing here i don't know we should probably do a podcast episode so do you know what we're doing today today we're going to talk about a topic that you are going to tell the people about now and i already know what it is sure yes this is the topic that sean definitely knows what we're talking about because he remembers the things we do together uh we do you remember hey do you remember that storm dragon that we homebrewed do you remember the one who lived on top of the pillars you mean the one we put on D D beyond 
Mm-hmm. That's the one. That's the the one. Ascendant Storm Dragon. Ooh. Would you remember, do you remember, Sean, in our lore, in our <sighs> canon, the dwarves came up to the top of the pillars and they, they knocked the horn off that Storm Dragon? Do you recall that? Oh, let me flip through the old tome here. Oh, I gotta get all the pages here. Oh, Yep, yep, I see it in the, the 200s near around there. It's. Uh, I enjoy that this show yep, has there props. There it is. Put that book That's away a for later. Huge book. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, well, that fella right there, his his horn got chopped off, right? And the dwarves were like, oh, ugh, aye, we should probably uh, take this horn and use it for magical things. That's racist. Uh, and used it. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> they sound like they're from Kansas. All dwarves in this world sound like they're from Kansas. Like Dorothy? Maybe not. We'll figure the voice out for dwarves later, but it's definitely not whatever. Please, please do your need. best Kansas accent for me now. Oh, hi, oh, hi. Oh. <laughs> I don't Okay, so, <laughs> yes, so the storm... Dri- focus. <laughs> We're spiraling. Bad. So the storm giant's horn got cut off, storm and dragon. the dwarves took it. Storm dragon. That's right. Storm giant is from our Conundrum campaign. Conundrum company Check campaign. Watch that on the welcome Watch that on the welcome So the storm dragon got its horn lobbed off, um, <laughs> and the dwarves picked it up and kind of crafted it into an item that allows them to control the weather around yes. their mountain home. Now it's this, a very powerful relic. This dragon, it didn't die. It escaped. No. But it left mm-hmm. this horn behind. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay, and the dwarves have been holding on to it as some sort of powerful relic. Mm-hmm. And see, here's here's the thing with the storm dragon. It ascendant storm dragons have the ability to terraform the world around them to manipulate it to to meet their requirements mm-hmm. and the horn can do the same to an extent it controls the weather yes it, if it's left in an area it will do the same sort of natural things and can mm-hmm. be channeled upon to uh, affect nature as the dwarves see fit giving them some sort of ecological advantage and dwarven culture on top of the pillars has been impacted by this. They have essentially been one of the dominant powers upon this continent for multiple reasons, but one of those reasons is the ability to control the weather uh, around the continent um, uh, through the Stormhorn. So we kind of established, but we didn't talk about it a lot, the lore surrounding the dwarves and how they kind of they kind of pass this horn down from family to family and kind of the leading bureaucratic families here um, use it as a symbol of power. Yes. And in the right hands, it's good. And in the wrong hands, it's not so good. In the wrong hands, devastating to the people, the serfs that live on the floor ground. Yes. Fuck those the guys. F- the floor ground? The floor ground. That's a, that's a technical D&D term. Pro tip. Yeah. Uh, if it's if it's on the ground, it's called the floor ground. The floor ground. you need two words to describe everything. In Otherwise, it's the sky ground, and everyone gets confused. Yes. Or the sky air. Don't Sky air is sky above air. the dwarves, obviously, Josh. Come on. Yeah. The know, floor I'm air is what you're referring to. No. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so we have this lore established. Um, and what we want to do is we want to craft that item. We want to craft it into um, something you can use in your world. And this is an artifact. This is like, so I think we're looking at like a legendary or artifact item. Like yes, yes, itself, yes, yes, yes. Right? 
That is accurate. So, so for our for our new listeners, there are different types of items, and they kind of dictate the power and value of these items. So we're talking about like legendary artifact items are very high up there. Like those are the big fancy ones. Yes, there mm-hmm. are. Hmm. Let's see if I can pull it off the old dome piece without looking it up at all. Don't look at me. Uh, you're 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 doing such a good job with your dome piece. There are common items, uncommon items, rare items, very rare items, legendary items, and then above all those are artifacts. Mm-hmm. We're saying this is an artifact, correct? I think so. I mean, no, I I'm not a hundred percent clear on this, and I'm genuinely not playing dumb. Artifacts, do they require... A lot of the... Most artifacts you see have um, attenuations to them, like levels of power to them that you unlock through grand deeds. Some of them, more specifically, those are the ones that Matthew Mercer has created recently. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are the uh, vestiges of divergence that he has in his campaign. Um, But Wizards has put that into Theros, right? Like, some of those items have... Some of the more recent ones, I do believe, level up with you, but uh, artifacts don't necessarily need to level up with you. Okay, okay. So it's Um, more just the the power, the prominence. And this is is an artifact. This is world myth, world lore level. Yeah, this is... So artifacts, as it stands in the hierarchy of magical items those are the ones that like even things that destroy magical items might not destroy artifacts they have like Mm -hmm. a higher tier of uh power in that grand scale like legendary items are potentially destroyable whereas artifacts are very very hard to destroy that's right yeah something like that beautiful so there's there's kind of so we're looking at making an artifact item, my friends. So the thing I think one of the good reasons that this is fun to kind of do is because a it's going to be incredibly powerful, like we're going to be able to do some very cool things with it. But also it's going to be like a big item to make. Oh, so yeah. there's there's going to be a lot for us to go over here. Whereas like a lot of the time with an uncommon item or a common item, it's just a few lines of, of text that you're adding in. Yeah. Here. So we're going to kind of get really deep and granular with this. We're going to get in there. We're going to mix it up and get filthy dirty. <laughs> this podcast just went R. <laughs> so, where do we start, Sean? Where do we where do we start with Where, an where do we start? I think we start picking out what kind of artifact this is going to be. It's not armor. Mm-hmm. It's not a ring. It's not a rod. It's not a staff. It's not a weapon. I think it's a wondrous item. So, Sean is touching upon something very important when you're creating items, and that is keywords. There are keywords used to define items into certain mechanics of the game. Yeah. So so what Sean's saying is we're going to make this one shot. So like a weapon can be wielded. Armor can be worn. And there's other like artifact is a keyword, right? Yep. So you have to kind of like match to those keywords and make sure you'll see on every item stat sheet right under the name. It's got these like italicized words. Weapon. Armor. Mm-hmm artifact very rare all those sorts of things so those are very important yeah sorry i'm getting overly technical but this is kind of important to understand i mean this is a technical sort of podcast at times we're not just all poop jokes and space chickens no just 90 percent of the time most of it is is poop poop jokes and space chickens yeah and then there's some times where we're like a keyword (laughs) it's not (laughs) a book (laughs) you forgot to file your paperwork (laughs) <laughs> okay so 
So we've, we know it's going to be a wondrous item. We know it's going to be an artifact. I So another like keyword component is like attenuation, so attunement. I'd like to decide if we are going to require that. Here's the thing. At the end. Yeah. My first go-to thing is no. Mm-hmm. Because, and this is my image, I see this thing as being too big to move easily. Oh, yes. So it's like not something that's like in someone's pocket or around their neck. It's like a fixture in their home. This is like a piece of furniture. Yeah. It's like an art piece or something like that. You can't move this easily. I'm, now I'm envisioning like one of those giant ass horns from like Norse mythology that they put up on like a giant cliff. And it is, has like a stand and like a stairs leading up to it. And then like the mouthpiece is like cut way up in the tip. Mm-hmm. And then it's this like huge lengthy coiling thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because it came off of that massive dragon. So it's not going to be a little tiny baby horn. No, that's perfect. That's yeah. really good. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. So okay. So my, my first uh, impulse is attunement. No. No attunement. But it's not going anywhere with anybody. Oh, God, no. Not without a lot of effort. Not without like a cart or something. Yeah. Okay, so no attenuation. That's mm-hmm. I mean that's good. We've we've established that before. A lot of the time with attenuation, you look at the item's power or mobility or so on and so forth, the purpose, and then you decide. Yeah, uh, which but a lot of the time comes at the end. But this is different. never say never. Could be by the never end of this, say. we're like, oh, you know what? Fine, attunement. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see how much it grows or shrinks. <laughs> yeah, by the end of this. Okay, so where is this horn, this furniture horn, currently installed? Um. So I actually saw something very interesting mentioned by uh one of our listeners in our mm-hmm. welcome in discord uh subscribe to the welcome in, good place. in our discord uh mm-hmm. they mentioned that this potential like storm collars horn uh, if that's what we're naming the item the storm collar could refer refer to the dwarven house that owns it it's like a title that is passed around the city oh. the storm collar refers to a dwarf and not the dragon that it came from so whoever like has this item is the Stormcaller, and it exists in their homestead. A prominent cultural or political or religious figure yes. within the pillars is the Stormcaller mm-hmm. and the Stormcaller's house, which is whatever dwarven clan maintains the Stormcaller's horn. Yeah. Ooh, that's some good juicy, juicy, spicy. That's lore. some good stuff. <clears throat> oh, wow. <laughs> Excuse me. I got that. <laughs> so okay so we've got the storm storm caller's horn we've got so this this does the because so we're talking about we're assuming some things here i, I immediately uh, what, if i assume i, I make I, ass out of you and me and i'm done with that i knew that was coming <laughs> i think maybe possibly something could happen yes so so but we we are assuming or i'm assuming I don't want to presume for you that we are accepting the more traditional dwarven hierarchy, which is like clans or family focused, like oriented groups of nobles. Are we sticking to that? Because that's critically important to this Stormcaller house thing. I would say a slightly offshoot of that. um, Because they originally were traditional dwarves that came here and then sort of relaxed on the dwarven culture, sort of set up their own dwarven culture, um, mm-hmm. which is a little bit more lax on that strict hierarchy. And mm-hmm. a lot of it over time has been more um, wealth-related, not necessarily, mm-hmm. like, clan-related. 
that makes any okay. sense. Wealth related. Because this is the so, rich part of town where, you know, whoever has the most money and the most influence. So the biggest merchant house? I would say probably yes. Or not even the so, biggest merchant house, just whoever controls the most wealth at any given time. I I do like, there's more nuance and depth to be had, though, if it's groups rather than an individual. Yes. But I like the concept that it's not bloodline, but merchant family that you join to. Yeah. And merchant families come and go. It's more akin to Venice, right? Yes. And Italy during their city-state periods where the families and the, you know, like the the Borgia and all of that were... <laughs> No. <laughs> but, I know nothing about history. <laughs> but uh but like that concept where you can join a family for their wealth. Yes, and I like the since it is potentially an individual who owns it currently, mm-hmm. um or the head of a group of individuals. Uh I like the fact that currently it's being held by a very um trustworthy and honest merchant who Mm -hmm. is using it wisely and not abusing it currently like this merchant very much came to the top came into his wealth or this merchant family Mm -hmm. came into their wealth um by playing smart by being honest and true and people have kind of they're known for that brand they're known to be trusted for that Mm -hmm. and and so of their wealth has grown off of that sort of lawful um perspective not necessarily lawful good but lawful kind of evil not evil (laughs) okay they are they are trustworthy yes right and that's a part of their brand trustworthy in the sense that whatever like the best call is for that moment in time they'll make it's very it's the very like good side like lawful neutral capitalism yeah it's like the kind of yeah yeah i like that um I think that would be cool if we did that. Okay. I also like so the we... idea of it being sort of this title being passed around as some sort of contest or some sort of like it, like something changes okay. it up every now and then. Here's the deal. The pillars has a stock exchange and whoever is at the top of the stock exchange gets the storm caller house and the storm caller's horn. Whoever's at the top becomes the Stormcaller's uh-huh. house. So they become the Stormcaller house. If you're at the top of the stock exchange, if you're Dow or whatever, you oh, become know, the Stormcaller house. I know nothing about the stock Me exchange. Either. That's I like it because it's challenging and I don't know anything about stocks. So we're going to say yes. Yeah, say we're, we're going to do it. And we can also just make... like This isn't a real-world stock exchange. Yeah. This is a fantasy buy, stock buy, exchange. Buy, buy, buy. Sell, sell, sell. Magic. Mm-hmm. That's yes. what it is. Yeah, it's perfect. Okay. So they, like, they literally track the holdings and accounts and banks and monetary value of these families. And whoever <laughs> has the highest gross holdings is the Stormcaller's house. And because they're dwarf, every... Every coin, every gem, every monetary item is counted. Mm-hmm. And accountants hold a very high position in dwarven society. Yeah, like They're like the auditors. Exactly, the council of accountants decide. This is getting the, very bureaucratic. The council. The council. Yeah, I like it. The council. Oh, that's good. The council. That's really good. <laughs> the council. It sounds so epic. The council accounts 
for all holdings and decides the Stormcaller house. Oh man, that's good. <laughs> okay, so we've got the stock exchange that dictates who the leading house is, um, <laughs> and that house is given. So I like to think that there is literally a palace built around this horn, and whichever family is the leader moves into that palace. Yes. Like, I like to think there's a structure around it. Yes. I like that. Okay, so hear me out. How about okay. whoever is at the top of the stock exchange after a certain number of years? Like every five years they check and it's... They do an audit. It's Yeah, it's, they do an audit and they reassess who the Stormcaller is at that point in time. So mm-hmm. there's not like people moving in and out of this house every month. That's perfect. Yeah. The council comes in and audits all of the merchant houses and decides which one. Every five years. Yeah, every And it's five literally years. like, okay, it's been five years. Let's start for the next one. <laughs> And you may, may, you may, a family could be in that position for centuries. Yeah. Like if, if they maintain their wealth, like it's not a, there's no termination, but if another yeah. house surpasses you, you're out. Yeah. Even if it's getting like close, it's like, you've got to hold on so you can eke out just long enough to survive the audit and then you can let it lapse and then gain and then whatever you want to do. And you get like these mass liquidation. Like yeah. when the audit is coming near, everyone liquidates their assets and like there's a bunch of subterfuge and like corporate <laughs> I love it. espionage. That's so good. <laughs> oh, this is fucking great. It's probably sounds completely uninterested to everyone else, but I think it sounds fucking great. It's amazing. <laughs> there's it. so much potential for a D&D game in there. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, oh my god. Accounts okay. and accuaries actually make sense in this world yeah yeah it's good like it's relevant and and a learning experience for us Hell okay yeah, dude. all right so we've got this this whole lore and this whole philosophy and structure around this horn now so let's make the actual item we know it's sitting in this palace we know it's called the Stormcaller's horn it's a status symbol and a symbol of power but it's also incredibly powerful in and of itself yes we know it controls the weather in some way shape or form how does it do that? What does that mean when a player comes into ownership, possession of this item? So, hmm. I think essentially wherever it's placed, it begins to spread out its influence from there. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say every day that it remains in the same place, the amount of area it's able to reach extends by 100 feet. So if so, you move it to a new place, the next day it'll be able to make a storm within the next, like within a hundred feet of that place. And that expands. And every day it reaches out further and further. Yeah. Well, to a range of like whatever this continent size is. Okay. Because that's about so, where it is. Because it's sat on the pillars for hundreds, if not thousands, of years, in that one palace, mm-hmm. it has incredible reach. Yes. What happens if you move it four feet? Uh, I think if it, if it remains within like the first increment of a hundred feet, it keeps its aura. Okay. But if you move it out of like out of the primary area of its influence, it will need to reset basically. Okay, so this is more of a fluff sort of thing, but it's like a, it's like it's almost like an it item with a layer moves. action. Yeah. Okay. Because it's 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 a lesser. It's a less powerful version of the full dragon itself. It's the essence of part of it. So it's not as okay. strong, but it is that sort of gradually okay. uh, changing place. What I guess we should define the aesthetic of this. 
So it's a big, huge, long horn. I assume very dwarven in aesthetic set into this sort of stand what's the is the horn itself like white or light i was blue? gonna say they hollowed it out and actually made a horn a horn out to of it oh absolutely yeah. i was assuming sorry yeah, yeah. good yeah yeah 100 percent with that it's like a drinking horn but a, like when you play it and it's like positioned to be played yeah okay that's what i so Basically. what we're imagining is like this long curved horn let's say like eight nine feet long that widens outwards Say what? Like a cornucopia? Is that what it's called? Kind of like a cornucopia, yeah. But it like it kind of cornucopia like curls in on itself, I think. But uh, yeah. whatever. No, it doesn't. I don't know. Anyway, it's this big long horn, like a dragon horn, that's like nine feet long, and it kind of widens and flares out, and it's literally cut into a horn, hollow- hollowed out with a mouthpiece on one end that's like really ornate, maybe like a gold inlay, like all over the place, very like dwarven in style. Yeah. Okay. Ricola. Ricola. Hey, big fun thing that D&D always loves is to give their item sentience. I don't think this has sentience. It, it came off a creature that has sentience, so I'm going to say probably not. Probably not, yeah. Um, so Okay, so we can axe that. But that's always something to consider in your items. I love doing it. That is fun. Believe me, sentience I love doing sentient items. Mm-hmm. But uh, this, it just doesn't fit here. No. Um... No, no, no. I think I think this one's just just a hunk of magical essence of a creature. Okay. All right. So we've got kind of a more we've got a like global effect that it does. The reason it's kept in power. We've got an aesthetic for it. What are what are mechanical things it does? Mechanical things it does. Mm-hmm. It can. Um. There is a very powerful, I think, druid spell called Storm of Vengeance. Okay, uh, my Storm mind keeps getting pulled towards that. I'm going to look it up now. I think it's like an 8 or ninth level spell. Uh, yeah, Storm of Vengeance is a ninth level spell. Um, a churning storm cloud form centered on a point you can see and spreading to a radius of 360 feet. Lightning flashes in the area, thunder booms, and strong winds roar. Each creature under the cloud, no more than 5,000 feet beneath the cloud, when it appears, must make a constitution saving throw. On a failed save, a creature takes 2d6 thunder damage and becomes deafened for 5 minutes. Each round you maintain concentration on the spell, the storm produces additional effects on your turn. And then through 10 rounds, it spools up into more and more damage. Yeah. Um and more and more area of effect things. Okay. Is that something that looks like it would so be? You, so could you globally cast Storm of Vengeance? Like, yeah, like once a day. Continent-wise. Not continent-wide, but like... Okay, how far? It, like in the area, like within this 100 or 360 feet, you could just put okay. that 360 feet over an area for a certain amount of time. Or something okay. akin to that. I think it should cover the entire city. I think it's a defensive measure. The city that it's in? Yes, or like the AOE, the effect of it. Because this is only, you know, like within 360 feet. In the scale of a city, that's nothing. But if they, if this was here and positioned like this, what's the purpose of being able to call a storm in on your own city? I think this horn should be able to control weather right 
in the radius that it has set up. Okay, so this is a part of that. This is a function. I will say this is a possibility. Like, once it does this, it can't do this again for, like, a month. So they've got, like, once a month, they can just dump something on a city somewhere. And I do mm-hmm. agree with you to scale it up. Um, yeah. But there is also the spell control weather. And I think... Which is just a more usable thing. It's more usable, and I think it's... It's that radius we talked about earlier where every day it gets 100 feet wider and wider so i think it should be able to use the control weather spell in the entire radius that it's like that increases as it sits there that entire Mm -hmm. radius should be the range of its control weather spell okay so it has rather than like within five miles it's whatever the area of reach is of the horn you can cast control weather essentially at will yeah okay what that spell allows them to do is control the temperature, the amount of precipitation, or, you know, clear skies, cloudy, whatever they need wind. for farming, for wind, for uh, even sailing. I think this radius sort of goes out to a lot of the harbors. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it makes it difficult to get in or out of the, the actual docks. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can't control water can't control like the seas but it can make them choppy right. if there's a storm it can that control way. the winds it can which affects the currents and the tides and things like that yeah okay i like that i like all that so it's got that massive at this point continent spanning because of how long the horn's been sitting in place yes reach um for those two spells one of them at will one of them um kind of once a month charge sort of thing Basically, yeah, it's like a like a in case of emergency break glass, and then the. I think once it uses that, the control weather is very like limited, like you mm-hmm. can only send like, you know, light rain, or, um. You can't like send another storm somewhere, or like sure. rainstorm, you know, just vernacular's sake, um. For a certain amount of time. I love it. I like it. I like it a lot. Okay. Any other mechanics we want this to have? Any? Uh, like... You mentioned the like it being used as a defense of the city it's in. Mm-hmm. What does that look like to you? I'm not certain. I mean, the ability to target like advancing enemies already with that like thunder ability is quite powerful. But I mean, like the ability to cook maybe like um, wall of wind or something like that, like throw up or dust storm like thing those sorts of spells throw those up around the perimeter of the city would be very interesting like there's a reason it hasn't been taken from the dwarves i was gonna say what if they found a way to like channel its inherent energy into some sort of defense like the item itself doesn't like cast off lightning but what if they found a way to like whatever's encasing it or holding it in place sort of siphons away that discharge that we've already mentioned the dragon gives off just by nature right. of it being there so there's a giant like coil, tesla coil tesla coil coming out of the top of this mount. not like coming out of the top of it but like hidden within decoration on the building okay that then leads to like some sort of offensive okay. so i do like that like there's like it's up the palace is like up on a rise, like at the highest point of the yeah. pinnacles, like where the dragon was slain, and the the horn sits on a kind of 
cliff that has been cut out as a balcony mm -hmm. and there's this sort of veranda structure over it that it's integrated into yes and as a part of that there's like coils metallic coils that builds almost it's it's like an inlay in the side of this cliff yeah but it's a metal inlay that charges all of this and i recently homebrewed an item that does cast um it was a mast for a ship that functions similar to the similarly to this and it launched i think it's lightning bolt the spell yeah at eighth level um yeah at eighth level out in a straight line what if it was like a targeted lightning bolt that you could launch out of this thing either a targeted lightning bolt or it could call lightning or call lightning yeah that'd be good too. yeah because that's uh, I, I like the idea of within the first like 100 foot increment, you could cast Call Lightning. Because I think, I don't, I forget, how big is Call Lightning? I'm pretty sure it's It's only 120 feet. I think. A radius cloud. It's a 60 foot radius, but it's, you can see within 120 feet of you. So we'd have to extend the range of it. 60 foot radius. So basically that entire first 100 foot like right, or circle of the thing. Mm -hmm. I would extend it out to like a hundred foot radius of where this thing sits. You could cast call lightning in that area. What's the size of so as a defensive measure? It's more of a defense of the palace than the city, for the most part. Okay. How like this okay, is if no, they were to up. break the wall, how big do, do you envision this, this city on top of this mountain being? Quite large, I think. Quite large. It's a, if it's if we consider it like one of the capital cities. Well, now, here's, here's my question, because I envision this sort of as a holdover from dwarves and that dwarven architecture being, like, the primary focus. I consider mm -hmm. this city not being spread outwards, but spread downwards, downwards into the mountain itself. Okay. So the palace is one of the few things on the surface. It's, the yeah, thing. there's a very few number of buildings outside on the top section of the okay. spire. And I think mm -hmm. the rest of the city is actually inside, worked into the mountain itself. So the city is built up underneath around this pinnacle. The palace sits atop, and this balcony has the best vantage point of most of the surrounding area. Yeah. Like, the balcony is pretty much the only thing at the very top. In fact, even the palace itself is underneath it, kind of built in outside of the rock, but into the rock. Yes. Like, very dwarven. Like I think, like, Chasmodan and things like that, where you see protrusions of the structure breaking the surface pretty much yeah okay so then this balcony is actually more a veranda at the very top of the pinnacle the horn sits on the top there yeah of this flat space and really this lightning can be cast in any direction around it it's got 360 degrees of visibility yes okay got it that makes more sense for the 100 feet yeah i still think because we're still on top of a mountain so that people would be approaching from far away. So I still think it should be more than 100 feet. Well, it can still make the surrounding area beyond that very difficult to maneuver through. Like, it can send torrential rain in every direction. It can send blizzards if it wants to, technically. Right, but if it's on the top of this mountain, and everything's built into the mountain, they're not approaching across open ground anywhere near this. Like, What would you suggest? I, I I genuinely think that the range of call lightning is enhanced for this item. Well, it is already like enhanced. How much more do you want to enhance it? I, I mean, I'm thinking like 600 feet. 600 feet? Okay. Yeah. Well, that would only work if the item had sit in a place like this for so long. 
What I'm doing is building an item that you can move anywhere. Oh, so you're wanting to move it. I'm saying the party, most likely, if they hear about this thing, is going to want to try and steal it. Sure. If they do that, there has to be rules to set up how it works in the rest of the world. Now, we do have to think about how it works in this town and how they would use it. So I am willing to say, like, over time, that range increases the longer it sits in a place. We've made this complicated by making it a static item, which is very interesting to explore. Yeah. I like it. I'm not I'm not opposed to it, but it's interesting. I, I kind of, I yes, I get it to some extent. But on the flip side also, it's a item that isn't going to be moved around a lot. Even if the party steals it, they're going to haul it somewhere and leave it there. So... I like, like, the area, the grand reach spells for most of the weather control because the reach is so incredible. But I also like the idea of just one spell. It can cast at a set range, and it's quite an impressive range, but it doesn't adjust. And I feel like that aligns fine with it being movable as well. Okay. So, because, I mean, what do you... The the one time it's going to be... So if they're bringing around with them, they've got it sitting on a cart, and they sit down and they cast Call Lightning from the back of this cart, on something within 600 feet. That's still not, for an artifact weapon, completely, like, unreasonable. Right, that's mind. why dwarves don't attach it to a tank and drive it into battle. Yeah, that's why it's it sat be. here for so long, is because it's yeah. useless if you move it. Yeah. But I also get the sense that if the party steals it, and it's like, oh, it doesn't do anything, well, just chuck it out the window then. Yeah. Yeah. That Which is sense. why why the kind of, like... I. I'm pushing for that call lighting lightning to be a little more effective. Because you're of the mindset you want it to do something right now when I get it for the first time. Yeah, I want to grab this thing off the wall and I want to use it on someone. I mean, maybe we keep it. It's, you know, you can cast call lightning at like third level maximum so that it's not a massive dump of damage. Yeah. Or you give it charges per day or something. I'm not so much afraid of the damage. I'm just, you know, I don't know. I guess I'm thinking of it a lore, more from a lore perspective of how this thing actually functions well, mechanically. I mean, I am as well. I think we're coming from very different places with it. Though. Yeah. Because this is, I, like, all of this is fueled from a lore perspective of, like, again, from a, like, a defensive, if you were to use it from a defensive position for the lore that we established for it, if it had a 100 feet range, it would be useless because you'd be lightning calling on cliff sides and the tops of your buildings. And right. Much else. Well, what if what if the longer it sat in a place, the more range it had for that call lightning? So you want to do the range thing with call lightning as well. Everything is everything is on that reach element. I mean, unless you feel like it would somehow be able to call lightning six hundred feet away. I mean, I I personally don't think it'd be beyond the power of this artifact lore wise. But if we want to tie it to that, it just seems like the same effect for the same thing, uh, a number of times. Okay. So how many charges do you think it would get with Call Lightning? That's like, my thing. I was going to give it charges. So it's unlimited Call Lightnings at this whatever range it establishes for itself. Yeah. Based on how long it's sat somewhere. Okay. At what level? Would just like cast at level one or? Um, I would say fifth. Fifth level? Yeah. That's, I believe, five D10s. Spells damage increases by 1d10. 
oh this is i guess there is the interesting element with this one as well of like aoe effect um, yeah how it lasts and each time the damage goes up if there's a lightning storm or whatever oh yeah, yeah. if there's already a storm going on the damage goes yeah. up by one but yeah, which is cool yeah you could use that in tandem as well with the call weather create weather effect yeah or control weather that's the spell okay that's neat. so okay so so not an insane amount of damage and the players could use that as they move around with it and it's at that hundred foot radius if it's moving the radius grows if not yeah now what can it do to fix your issue with it what can it do just sitting there what is its power what can it do without needing to sit there and gain influence over the land for a long time because that's the issue you're having with it well i i mean i don't know that it that it has to my issue was more from the like there is from a defensive perspective like if the dwarves kept this on top of a mountain the call lightning at 100 feet is irrelevant we've kind of addressed that problem it means nothing yeah so that was that was my perspective when we're talking about it from a like from a they use this for defense like because we were exploring that idea that's call lightning would do nothing all you could do is lightning strike your own people even if it was underground Mm because you're sitting up on top of a mountain um but if that scales out based on how long it's sat there i don't mind now if there is some sort of thing you know that it can do for the party still if they like steal it and strap it onto a cart sure do we i don't know that we want to do that with this that kind of detracts from the lore i like it being an artifact that's meant for like sitting this 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 artifact is what you build your stronghold around you yeah, put you this put in the middle fortress. of it and then you let it sit there for as long as possible and you just let yeah. it get stronger and stronger until it can and that's how it levels up yeah basically that's one thing we could do okay so if we did do again like like levels to this what if it sat there long enough that when it had a certain reach more powerful versions of spells or more powerful spells unlocked i like that too so like it has tiers of, of Ooh, capability. What, what if at like when it's fully set whatever the range is when it reaches that full range Mm-hmm. When you cast control weather on an area, you also get to scry on it. Ooh, that's good. So that's the like the, the like final tier of like you can scry like, anywhere you can, essentially. Yeah, you basically get a nationwide scry through the storm. So like while it's raining on a town, you get to look down on it. I love that. That's really good. I like that too. That's, that's good. Awesome. So yeah, it reaches its maximum distance, which we'll define outside of this because yeah, we, we, really we have to find out how big the continent, continent is first, and then yeah. I think it goes just a little bit outside of whatever that continent yeah, is over the sea. Yeah, but it's also been sitting there for like thousands of years. So yeah, so it's like it's very established, and it would be like world shattering if it did get moved. Which is yes, that would ruin those dwarves' economy and livelihood, and culture and society. Everything would fall apart. Their government would fall yeah. apart. Everything would be destroyed. And I think all the all the houses up there. <laughs> As much as they probably all fucking hate each other, the, they all band together as soon as anyone tries to take that horn away from them. Because they're like, well, if that leaves, then regardless of where I am amongst this society, I'm ruined. It's the unifying factor. Yes. Like, there is there is no... The greatest betrayal would be moving that horn or yes. attacking the, the Stormcaller's house. Yes. And I think, like, acting against 
the storm collar and whoever holds it and the horn in general is like exile worthy. You are stripped of all land title. Anything you have is taken from The greatest you. insult is losing your wealth, your yes. home, and your holdings. Just quit. That's yes. it. You're done. Ooh, I like this. This is good juicy lore stuff. Yeah. That's why I wanted to make the item, but make it a... Basically, make it from the perspective of how important is it to these people. Yeah, yeah. Because most likely uh, it's going to stay there. I know the party will want it, but... Mm-hmm. They no, I, I think we're, we're coming from the same perspective there. I'm, yeah. I'm in agreement. It's just, uh, I was, again, <laughs> I was yeah. like, so, okay, beautiful, masterful, wonderful. I like it. Do we have anything else we want to add to this? Um, I think I'm good, actually, because we got the most of the lore out of the way. The and lore's we got, done. We got a lot of the, actually, effects out of the way. The uh, aesthetics are there. It doesn't need to be attuned. We agreed on that. Mm-hmm. It more attunes to the the land it's sitting on if that makes any sense yeah yeah oh i like that as a concept i don't know that i've ever really seen like an item that attunes to the land yeah that's cool that's a good idea breaking that attunement is basically moving it yeah moving it is the is the break yeah and attunement takes time Mm -hmm. can't Mm. now oh here's something it's an artifact we have to do this how can it be destroyed because artifacts usually need to have a way that says this is how this gets destroyed the only thing that can destroy it is the ascendant storm dragon that it belongs to you think only it can destroy itself Mm -hmm. i think that like it's a part of because it's a part of we've established that ascent the ascendant dragons are demigods yeah so this is a part of of a god um maybe there are a few ways but i think at least one of the ways needs to be the storm dragon itself okay so let's do it this way first are there staple ways that artifacts can be destroyed like by taking it to a demigod can any demigod destroy it it? yes any any demigod can find this any demigod could destroy it or god or god okay cool they don't care enough to bother with it usually not but yeah it's good to know okay any other ways you'd like to see it destroyable um not really i think i think that's sufficient yeah beautiful okay so it could be destroyed by the demigods yes um just kind of based on the lores and hierarchy of our world yeah beautiful okay now this is probably going to be cut from the podcast, but should I create this and put it on D&D Beyond? Yes. Okay. Yes, 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 okay, So you have to finish up, figure out what the range is for this thing before I do that. Yeah, we'll wait to put it up there, mm-hmm. which is why this is being cut out. But eventually it can be put on D&D. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Okay. I really do like the concept of land attenuation. That's yeah. Crude. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a fun thing, especially because magic comes from the earth. Yeah, yeah, I like that concept. Okay, we've made our item. We did it, Sean. Ba ba da ba da. Do we open the chest and like stand Ten rupees. Bullshit. Oh shit! That was supposed to be the horn. Fuck! Someone stole it. It's gone. It's got to retune. Damn it! Oh no! It's the big evasion. You're doomed. Okay, 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 okay. So. We made our Stormcaller's Horn, which is this beautiful, fantastic item that we made. Now, hey. we have questions. We have questions. We do? 
We do. Wait, you and mean you know how people we went questions? to loredumpquestions at gmail.com or found us on Instagram or Twitter at the lore dump and sent us questions? They did. Oh, Jesus. I'm actually surprised. <laughs> how excited are you? Ooh, it's like Ooh. Christmas Day. <laughs> Nobody told me. You're Jewish, remember? I play the fifth. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, questions. Our first question is... What are some ways to handle the use of homebrew that may be problematic to your world or game balance? So what are things you can do when homebrewing that can muck everything up? Uh, making something that's too powerful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's first and foremost. That's probably the only thing. Um, mm-hmm. If I will say there's actually two ways. One way is making something too powerful in terms of like... Uh, either you make your homebrew creature too strong and it kills your whole fucking party and you didn't know that that was going to happen, but it did happen and you have to get over it. Or you make a homebrew class too strong and that character stands out and no one else gets to have any cool moments because this one homebrew character gets to do everything. Um, Mm -hmm. Those are the two powerful ways. And I, I will say, like, there's different... So homebrewing a class... That's an art form that you yeah. do iteratively over a long period of time before you implement it into a campaign. Yes. You need to know, because if especially like a one-shot, fine. Yeah, test out your homebrew in a one-shot. You know, it's yeah. maybe a little irritating for the other players, but it's a one-shot. Dropping a homebrew that's not tested and not understood into a campaign with a bunch of other players that now have to put up with those mechanics mm-hmm. uh, and you tooling and tweaking it, not particularly fair on your players so like class homebrews you have to be particularly careful about yes same with some items but not nearly to the extent because it's not as complicated as a class well i will say there's also the other side of making something too weak where you can Mm -hmm. make a subclass too weak and then the player you know isn't having fun or they get the shit kicked out of them or you could make like an item too weak like say you're giving everyone in your party that very super cool super rare item that you know their their character wants to get at the highest level and you made one of their items too weak mm-hmm. that feels bad for that player um and i would just say there's always ways to fix that after the fact uh, without it feeling like too much like a hey i fucked up here you go here's a new item you can just say like oh you've awakened it or it's now better because you did something cool yeah and and like items with levels and stuff like that like that's why they kind of exist like it's a good way to do it and add it in there yeah it's also i mean we're more conscientious of the homebrew we put out because we like broadcast games and people are watching it and scrutinizing it Mm -hmm. but there's nothing to just say like in a home game that you can't go to your player and say hey man you know what i goofed uh i goofed i'm gonna gonna dial this back a little bit or i'm gonna dial it up a little bit um just from that kind of perspective just be cognizant don't be um, afraid to tell your players you goofed. Yeah, you goofed. You're not... I, everyone plays into the, like, omnipotent DM thing, but no DM is omnipotent. It's not a, not a like, you know, just, just be like, ah, I was tooling around with this and I mucked it up. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay, okay, okay. Second question. This is a kind of long one. It's got two parts. Two parts. If you're in the middle of running a session and realize there's a gap or an unresolved detail in something you've homebrewed, 
do you have any specific strategies or approaches to settling those problems? And part two is, is it different from the normal approach to filling in gaps and improvising that DMs will always need to do? In a way, that question kind of answers itself. I would say yes, but not fully. Mm. So how does it answer itself? Well, it is. So if you've got a void and you need to fix it, it is just thinking on the fly to an extent like understanding the rules around it and the intent of the item like if it's an item or an object or a monster yes. but also like dialing things back like if it's a homebrew monster and you're like holy shit this party is gonna have one round and be tpk like that's it yeah just dial it back we all do it, it as long as there's trust there and you're not abusing the rules or the mechanics of the game you're not doing anything wrong by making a hit point adjustment or a dc adjustment you really not and every dm knows how to do that yeah um i would say that the it is it fully requires you to be sort of thinking on your feet and improvise as you need to but all you have to do is look at the gap look at either side of it and then logically fill in the middle with whatever should be there mm -hmm. um a lot of the times that'll happen when you're focused on like different aspects of homebrewing. You'll be like, oh, fuck, I forgot to fill out this part. What would be there? Um, this. <laughs> that would make sense in this area. It doesn't break anything else. And it just gives a little bit more detail or it adds a fun little flavor thing in. Because if you forgot about it and there's a gap in there, clearly it wasn't that important. And this is an art form with and something that you should practice when you pull somebody else's homebrew, there's so much out there and you go out and you grab an item. This has happened to me recently where I grabbed an item, threw it into a game and I was like, this has been thought out. I can't see anything wrong with it. And then the moment that it hit the table, it was like, oh, there is a big thing missing. And I just set a rule at that moment. I was confident in that ruling. I considered the kind of gap and I was like, okay, problem solved. Sean's making faces. At I know me. what item this is now. Mm-hmm. Sean knows exactly what item this is. I know We've how it's broken, and I know how I avoid it. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, so, like, you you kind of, like, you you dial it in there. But that's that's the same with, and that's kind of the beauty of homebrew is somebody created a really cool item. Then we put implemented it. It was a little bit off, so we made our own adjustment. And that is homebrewing in and of itself is also taking existing things. All Sean and I do is take the rules established by D&D &D and add our own flair to them. Like, that is homebrewing. Make yeah. sure you're giving credit if you're borrowing from somebody or pulling something from it. But oh yeah, that's yeah. Homebrew. All so here's what we do on this podcast. You've seen us time and time again make memes or just steal blatantly, but we always talk about what we're stealing from. We always mm -hmm. make sure to mention where the ideas are coming from and then moving forward to make them our own. Always yeah, you gotta give credit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's first first and foremost. Otherwise, just plagiarism. And all homebrew, to some extent, almost all homebrew, is building off of something somebody else has done. Sean, you've said this a million times before yourself. Yeah. You steal everything. Yeah, steal everything. DMs are just, international thieves. Just go, hey, I'm stealing it from this person! Hey, I made a whole one-shotter based off of Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> By no Disney! No one wants to play? Okay, cool. But I did steal it from Lilo and Stitch. I would play that, honestly. Yeah, it sounds fun. <laughs> You're all escaped experiments. You're running away from uh, Captain Gantu. 
If that's not D&D in a nutshell, I don't know what is, honestly. Captain Gantu? <laughs> Escaped experiments. Plinkly. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's actually very accurate. <laughs> like, I have had Stitch in a player group more than once. Educate yourself! <laughs> I fucking love that I guy. Love- I love how this kind of kind of closed out on a conversation about Lilo and Stitch. It makes well, you still got very, one more question, right? No, that's it. This is that's the question. Oh, I thought we had three. No, we have we had a second question that had two parts, but then it gotcha. kind of answered itself. Okay. Okay. What right. other okay? What other thoughts do you have regarding Lilo um, and Stitch? Um, I think that uh, Jumbo specific... was misunderstood in his time. His intelligence wasn't respected. And that council needs to get the stick out of their ass and get on board with the future. <laughs> oh, you meant D and related. Yeah, I yeah, misunderstood the question. Well, <laughs> if there's a gap or an unsolved detail that you've homebrewed, do you have any specific strategies or approaches? So we kind of talked about like being quick on your feet, um, but any other ways you settle things? I, I'm I'm a bad person to ask this. I'm always just improv, yeah. improv when you can, improv when you want. Um, I I think leaving those gaps mm-hmm. is actually sometimes fun, mm-hmm. and it actually this just came to me now. It can also be where you plug in uh, adventure hooks, like mm-hmm. you know how your party sometimes goes left when you want them to go right. Maybe leave a gap somewhere and fill that gap in with information they need to get back to going right instead of left. That's a really good point. That's what I do usually. The other thing I do, and my favorite line, Sean's heard me say this before as a DM a million times, is as the DM, I reserve the right to change this. (laughs) And I say that to my players all the time to the point where it's established. Like, I, I usually am very lenient when a player comes to me with something or a homebrew item manifests with a rule that's a little iffy and they're like, well, can we do it this way? And I go, sure, let's try it out. But I reserve the right as your DM to change that. Yeah, I can take this away from you anytime I want because I'm yeah. big and you're small. I'm small. <laughs> well, not like that. I, I, <laughs> Jesus. Just not, corrupting Not like the Trunchable? <laughs> not the Trunchable, no. It's a, it's a, okay. I'm not the Trunchable. Uh, I'm like kindly and respectfully, always. <laughs> because the dm's role is sacred that's accurate uh but highlighting um the dm's role is sacred not infallible yes exactly i would say it's sacred in that it has the obligation to treat you have the obligation to treat your players right yes um that's what i mean by sacred not in it that's the yeah when i say it it's not the infallible thing it's not this god term that role is sacred in that you are obligated to treat people with respect neutrality leaning towards fun Mm mm-hmm so, so the DM's role is sacred in regards to that you should always treat your players with respect, which is why, as the DM, I reserve the right. Like, you're setting that precedence beforehand. Yeah, that's that's a good call. Boom. Boom hey, comes the dynamite. So there were two fantastic, wonderful questions with brilliant genius answers by us, because we're such big brains. Yeah, we're the biggest brains in the bunch. So, so if there were people who had more questions that they wanted us to answer, uh, where would they send they would send them to the aforementioned Lord Dumb Questions at gmail.com. Or if you're a social media influencer or some sort of person who's on there all the time, you could send us a question at uh, the Lord Dump on Instagram and Twitter. 
Oh my gosh, we have an Instagram and a Twitter? Yes. That's a little bougie, don't you think? Yeah. We should dump one of them. Which one's worse? Say it right now publicly. I'm leaving it in. Say it. Go for it. It's Twitter. I can see it in your face. You hate Twitter more. <laughs> You've got that look of a person who hates You've Twitter. You've got that I hate Twitter look, which is most people. Stop reading my shirt. <laughs> yeah, your white shirt that says, says I, I hate, hate Twitter. Twitter on it. Yeah. yeah. Twitter. Love Anyways, you. this tangent is brought man. to you by the Lord Dump. Uh, <laughs> we have been your illustrious DMs. Uh, look out for my new podcast all about Lilo and Stitch. It's called The Stitch Fix. Um, that'll be airing sometime in the future. Uh, Josh, you want to take take it over here? Because I'm just rambling about yeah. My the own Stitch projects. Fix is is a is a ten out of ten podcast. I've had the opportunity to listen to it already, yeah. uh, and I can tell you it will not disappoint. Sean is really bringing his a game here, and I need you guys to yeah. push him on releasing it. Each like really, really. Is- tweets at him um, oh, yeah. instagram messages emails okay, everything you can down. to sean asking him about his lilo and stitch podcast so that he will release it because he's sitting on it how about this? and it's really high quality things he's not gonna episodes, disappoint you i'll release the first episode of stitch fix how about that <laughs> <laughs> we make All right, 50 episodes of this fucking podcast i'll release that shit <laughs> all right everybody you're the best hey. Don't forget, Stitch Fix. See you all later. We're going to leave you here with some music. <laughs> <laughs>